Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. And we are recording. It's a little cool out today. You notice that? Anybody notice that? It's just me. It's nice. I've, I've got doors and windows open and dogs barking. You'll hear them. And <laughs> yeah. Every year, Labor Day arrives and fall is right behind it. It's yeah. just amazingly fast. It's so yeah. fast. Right. So don't think that you're going to go like in the ocean again. Well, maybe you will. We always have like, you know, there'll be a few more warm days, I think. So, so here we are and uh, we're, we're into our post Labor Day phase now and back with us again at the record button is Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also here is Joe Shaw. Hi, Joe. Hey, Annette. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. And Brendan J. O'Reilly is with us also. Hiya, Brendan. Hi, everyone. I'm Brendan. I'm the Deputy Managing Editor. And my name's Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And we have a special guest this week, and that is Charles Lane. And Charles is from the Institute for Access. And that's an organization that is very near and dear to the heart of those of us who work in journalism, because a lot of our job, especially if we're news reporters, involves trying to get information from our public officials and municipalities. So I'm going to let Brendan jump in here and talk about a story that he had in the paper recently about Charles and his group's effort to get information from the Southampton Village Police about their license plate reader data. So there's a lot to digest here. So I think, Brendan, you would be probably the best person to kind of launch into this and start our conversation with Charles. So uh, I wrote an article for the Southampton Press in 27 East recently about a lawsuit that Charles and the attorneys who are members of his group brought against Southampton Village. And it was a FOIL or Freedom of Information Law lawsuit. He had FOILed for license plate reader data from the Southampton Village Police Department. He was getting non-responsiveness. And then he was told his FOIL was fulfilled when it really wasn't fulfilled. He asked for what he originally asked for and still wasn't getting it. And at times he was just ignored for weeks or months at a time, which is a violation of how New York State's freedom of information law is supposed to work. And eventually when they ignore you long enough, you get to take a municipality to court. And this was a rare case where the municipality actually paid out attorney's fees because they were found to be at fault for not releasing the information when it was asked for. New York State requires municipalities to pay these attorney's fees when they improperly denied a freedom of information request. However, required is a word that I have to use very loosely here because rarely does a court actually force a municipality to pay out the attorney's fees for the person who brought the case Charles and his organization miraculously were successful in their case against Southampton Village. So uh, I'd like to throw it to Charles from here so we could speak more about this. 
Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's it's great to be here. Um, yeah, no, this was an egregious case. I'm, uh, I do a lot of foils uh, every uh, every year, and this was probably one of the, the most bizarre ones that I asked for. Uh, I, the foil initially went to the police department, um, uh, a, a relatively specific number of documents that I was asking for, uh, and I was ignored and then tossed around to a variety of different people. And then until finally I found the person who uh, gave me, uh, yes, an acknowledgement, which is one of the statutory like uh, rungs on the ladder that agencies have to go through in order to comply. Um, and then and then it just sort of like uh, drifted in the ether of government agencies doing nothing, which is relatively common. Um, and and journalists who, who do this a lot, um, have uh, a typical uh, regimen that they follow. And for me, it's foil Monday. Every every Monday, I go through all my foils and I, you know, check in on the on the progress of uh, of where they're at. Oh wow, that's <laughs> and, a, that, that's that's really cool that you have it built into your weekly schedule. I think we have yeah. a new policy now, don't we? Joe? Yeah, that's not, <laughs> that's not bad. I, I find it extremely useful because. Mm -hmm. The, the one thing I know about FOIL is that they will try to wear you down through attrition. And it's basically by ignoring you, uh, not just delaying it as long as they can, and then hopefully uh, they forget. And if you think about the sort of the state of journalism right now, uh, we move at such a fast deadline, news, um, news pegs or, 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 or news timelines are just far, far more condensed. And there's fewer journalists who have uh, um, uh, a longer timeline. I'm, I'm blessed uh, at at WSHU, my my home station, where I I sort of operate outside of those timelines typically. Um, so uh, I'm able to uh, uh, ask for something and then wait. Like I think I asked for this back in 2020. Uh, no, yeah, 2020, November 2020, <laughs> and I finally got it. Uh, what four months ago? Three months ago. Um, but that's typical. So I'm, I'm asking for things now that I'll maybe get, you know, in a year or two years or something like that. Um, but and that's that's sort of the only way to, to work around this 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 de facto denial system that I think agencies have purposefully developed to to keep the taxpayers' records from the taxpayer. Yeah, the default is no and it's it's hard to get them you know charles i i'm not sure i don't want to put you on the spot but you may be more aware of this because i know you you deal with this so much even the awarding and brendan touched on the fact that they awarded the attorney's fees um in this case when it was considered an egregious violation that's a relatively new development right that that's because of a case that came down in the last couple of years that that before that that it really wasn't clear that that was even an option for a court yeah uh i don't know the exact year but i we had a case um about a year ago i think it was yeah. where the judge actually cited the wrong uh case law so it's like he cited the old case law and uh, my attorney, Corey Morris, had to write back to the judge and say, no, actually, you're using outdated case law. You have to use this case law. And then we got attorney fees on that one. So it's like even judges who decide these things regularly, and, and I don't want to make it seem like getting to a judge is an easy thing to do because it's not. But even judges who decide these cases are still operating in, you know, 
uh, on on this basis in which um, either an old case law or this this idea that agencies uh, don't have to provide the records, produce the records um, readily. Brendan, you're the president of the Press Club of Long Island. And so I'd like to ask you and, and Charles both your thoughts on the state's um, FOIL laws that, that I feel like both the open meetings law, uh, the, the access laws in New York State are okay, but the mechanism for enforcing them is so weak that, that it really benefits the, the governments and, and makes it a lot harder on journalists who are trying to use those laws. Is that fair, Brendan? Well, as far as the FOIL law, we don't have a lot of teeth as the people who are trying to make these requests. If somebody says, oh, I, I, I missed your email. That's why I haven't got back to you in two weeks. Well, now they're in violation of the five-day rule. But what are you going to do? Take them to court because they violated the five-day rule? You're not because it would cost you $10,000 to take them to court because they violated the five-day rule. So you say, okay, well, all right, I'm glad that you acknowledge receipt of my request now. Can I have that stuff? And then they tell you, oh yeah, we'll, we'll get that to you within 20 business days. Suddenly, even though they've already ignored you for two weeks or longer, as the case usually is, they start the clock at 20 days, even though they're already 15 days or more behind where they're supposed to be. And they're allowed to just tell you, oh, uh, we need more than 20 business days to fulfill this request because it's complicated. And it doesn't need to be complicated. They just have a boilerplate where they tell you, hey, this is too complicated. I went through this where I was uh, doing a freedom of in information request to the, through the New York State Police. I asked for something fairly simple. They told me it would take more than 20 days. They gave me an expected date that was months off. I waited another month past that date. I said, hey, where is it? They didn't respond to me. Another month went by. They finally gave me the thing I asked for, and it took months for something that I should have had in five business days to acknowledge plus 20 business days to fulfill. And it took months. And there is nothing that I can do about that. Are there some municipalities or bodies that are worse than others like do we find at a town level it's better than a village level is a school board level is it worse than the state level just wondering in our experience or even charles in your experience if there's um if you find that there's different levels of being stonewalled when you comes to a foil request yeah we defer to charles on that one there are there are agencies that are just really well known for being very non-compliant with foil um, and to be honest, I was surprised that Southampton Village was among those. Um, huh. I, and, and, and this is, I'm probably being unfair, but I would, I would say that, um, uh, by and large, the smaller municipalities are, are overwhelmed with sort of, with the sort of the things that they have to do. And so when someone like me comes in asking for a lot of records, in some ways, I understand. It's like, okay, and I'm and I'm perfectly willing to. If you don't have a lot of resources, I could wait. And and I'm I'm more interested in getting the records than I am about burdening your your bureaucratic system. Um, that said, like I have heard many many uh, um, 
people who are challenged in getting specifically records from the Southampton Village Police Department. And I mean, I think Brendan's article said they weren't even sure who the FOIL officer, who who the appeal needed to go to. Someone someone said they were that person and the mayor stepped in and said, no, it's actually me. And there's a lot of confusion about that, right? Yeah, I could speak to that. The, the police chief or former police chief now had said, I used to be the appeals officer as the chief. Before I was the appeals officer, I was the first person you would send your foil to when I was the captain. And then the new mayor came in and said, no, everything has to go to the clerk's office and the appeals officer is the mayor. And it turns out that the mayor is right. That wasn't just something that he decided. That is in the village code, and it's been in the village code. But as, as the Southampton Press, we didn't know that. You know why? Because every time we tried to foil something from the village, they would say, well, you have to go to the police department if you want something from the police department. It turns out their code said something completely different. That's pretty typical, right, Charles? I mean, there's a lot of confusion in municipal offices about this stuff. At the smaller agencies, yeah, but like the in statute, it says that the mm. that there has to be an identified FOIL officer, there has to be an identified appeals officer, there has to be an identified address, there has to be, um, uh, and I think that's those are the major ones. Um, and for the large organs, uh, like Suffolk County Police Department, for example, it's like um, they want you to go to the press office, um, and in and, and in that translation, although that's not the FOIL officer, so uh, a smart person who FOILs will always, you know, go to the FOIL officer. But the the public information office often tries to intervene in this, and in in some ways they can help, but in, in my case, they almost never help. Um, but by statute, there's supposed to be an identified person, and it's supposed to be publicly available. So if the if if the agency has the ability to have a web page and an email address, it has to be posted on the web page. It has to, there has to be an email address in which a FOIL officer can receive that. And by and large, that just doesn't exist, uh, especially on Long Island. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. Um, so Charles, can I ask you about this FOIL request? And you were asking about records related to the license plate reader data that the village police use. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about why you wanted that data, what that data might reveal, and why um, we should all be concerned whether you got it or not. Um, <laughs> there's a couple interesting things here. I don't, I'm not, I'm, I didn't begin the project thinking that license plate readers are a bad thing. Uh, I, I I have no judgment on that, to be honest. I was told by an elected official that some municipalities are using these to keep certain people out of their 
neighborhood. I was curious about this. And so I, I actually foiled all of the police agencies on Long Island, on Long Island asking for this information. Uh, a couple of things I was really interested in. How, how, how does that work, Charles? How would they keep them out of the neighborhood using the reader? Uh, I don't, I can imagine, but I, I don't know. I'm not reporting this as like, I don't, this is, I was curious, somebody told me this, I was curious. But for instance, if um, if you didn't want, um, uh, how can I phrase this? So it's, if you just wanted to harass certain people from coming into a neighborhood, you just set up a, a, an LPR and then you get everybody who has, uh, I don't know the exact term, but like um, uh, a, a scoff, we all call them scoffs. But it's like, if there's anything on the license plate that, that will set off a ding. So if you have a suspended license, if you have like uh, a plate that is uh, a lot of outer state plates, for example, um, or you could have uh, a number of tickets on the on the plate. If there's anything associated with the plate, these tend to correlate with economically disadvantaged people. And so, if you say only wanted rich people in your neighborhood, you could just target all the scoffs. Have a have a. I remember I talked to one cop in a municipality on the Gold Coast, coast and they said mm -hmm. the thing is just constantly going off because all of the workers coming in and out, they typically have scoffs on their on their license plate. And so uh, let's say if, if you wanted to keep those people out, every time it dings, you just go chase them down. Um, that's not telling you anything other than that the person has an unpaid ticket. Um, but that's one way to screen people out. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. And I'm not saying that. I'm just, I was simply curious. That was the, the root of going for the data in the first place was to investigate this idea and see where the data leads. There's another element to it, and it's it's it is somewhat alarming. If you want to have, uh, if, if this is if if you have this sort of paranoia, I think uh, LPRs can sort of justify this. Um, let's say you're worried about being followed, because there are so many LPRs, you could literally track somebody by their license plate from say Montauk all the way to New Jersey. Like it's that uh, um, it's it's that detailed. Um, so if, and one of the things I don't, I should probably shouldn't say this, actually, <laughs> I'm not done with the reporting, but like if, if, if you say, let's say you're a cop and you thought your wife was cheating on you or something to that effect, uh, you could track her car from one end of the island to the other end of the island and, and do whatever you want with the information. Um, you could use it in. There are rules set up by DCG, uh, by the State Department of uh, Division of Criminal Justice Services that uh, guidelines that say police departments should not do this. I'm not convinced that those guidelines are followed universally, um, but you'll have to wait for uh, forthcoming reporting to, <laughs> to find that out. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you wouldn't need a warrant to do that either or anything, right? Wouldn't, and no, no, no. Uh, it's it's pretty well, I'm not a lawyer, but it's pretty established case law that, you know, anybody on the street has no, um, what they call it, no... Um, um, expectation of privacy. Expectation of privacy, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what, what you were hoping to get from um, the foil that you put in was basically a list of all of the plates that had been registered by the readers or just curious what the actual information was that you were seeking from uh so i, I asked for the database of a, of a four-month period of time mm -hmm. uh i asked for the rules uh around access to this uh information uh i asked for uh all of the contracts uh that uh, that the municipality created 
to use this information. For example, I found one municipality sharing information with jurisdictions in California. I, uh, um, the, it could be that, um, that uh, there is very strict rules in how uh, an officer might be using this information, or there might be no rules. Um, so all of this was, was, I was very interested in, in, in all of these things. And, and that's what I'm uh, still waiting to get back from, from a number of police departments. Charles, how often does your organization have to go to court? Um, it depends. Well, I mean, we can go to court for a lot of things, but we sort of have to pick and choose because the, my lawyer, uh, Corey Morris has to feed his family. <laughs> it's like, he can't be taking my cases on what's called contingency. So it's like, I don't actually pay him. He, he, he takes it one as a, as a public service and two on the hope that he eventually gets paid, um, through the, the, the for the attorney fees that were awarded in, in Southampton Village, for example. Um, but I can tell you right off the bat that he probably made $40, $50 an hour on my, it's just not worth his time to take this. It's just like, um, which is really frustrating because an easy fix to this is, is to just make the attorney fees and foil um, more clear. You, there's, you can like peg it. it. It doesn't actually require a lot. You could, for example, just peg it to uh, what uh, federal statute in terms of how, how federal courts award attorney fees. And then that's, that's all the lawyers are asking for. It's like, just pay us what this other court, you know, the federal courts pay their attorneys and, and we'll be happy. Because that's one of the deterrences here, right? Is, is for, for all of us who are journalists who are seeking this information, you fight and you follow the FOIL rules, but you reach a point where the municipality can just say, no, Mm -hmm. um, and you're stuck. You have to go to court, and a lot of us can't afford to do that. We, when we went to court, and, and they're and, and they're counting on that. I think, right? Yeah. Some some municipalities that don't want you to have certain information. I think somebody said it before. They're just waiting for you to go away, to get frustrated enough to go away, to walk away, and and never get that information. Yeah. When we went to court um, with the Southampton School District a few years ago. It was a big decision on our part. Um, we thought it was worthwhile. And we ended up having to partner with a local organization to help pay for the costs of it. It's, it's prohibitive for most news organizations, I think. That's why, I, Charles, I know we, we are running out of time. You're, you're on sort of a limited time frame here. But I, I, think, I think it's great that you have this organization that's devoted to doing this because um, all of, I think local journalists are fighting these battles all the time, but we all end up at that moment where, you know, you've got to take the fight to court and not everybody can afford to do it. So it's, you know, I think we all, we're all living vicariously through your big victory here. I think that was, that was right. a great win. That was a yeah. great win. Uh, I, I think, uh, although I think journalists are, uh, um, need uh, an organization uh, like IAPI to exist also, um, I think what we're seeing is there's actually more community organizations who would benefit from having greater access to public because we journalists there, there's just not enough of us but there are more people motivated by you know like like getting a stop sign in, installed in their in the neighborhood and they want to know how many accidents well every time they go to the police department and they say oh we're not telling you how many accidents were at the street corner it's like well you know that's 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 a huge detriment to the people living on that block and so i think if there were greater access to information if oil were more uh, accessible to people, then uh, uh, we would have safer mm -hmm. streets. We'd have, you know, a wiser use of our tax dollars, all sorts of benefits.
and let's be honest, like as newspapers are disappearing, I think municipalities are really kind of thinking nobody's going to be minding the shop and watching them at all. Um, so, you know, my question to you is, do you think that this is going to, are they going to be a lot more careful <laughs> at no. Southampton Village going forward? Oh, in Southampton Village? Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, maybe in Southampton Village, but you got to keep in mind, that's one of like 1,600 jurisdictions on yeah. Long Island. Like, yeah, but we're only concerned I, about the ones we have to deal uh, with. Be concerned, <laughs> be concerned about this, uh, the town of Southampton because uh, uh, I just got a denial there. And because it's unsettled law, there's zero hope of 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 getting attorney fees on it. So um, because, the, because the courts sort of split on this one particular issue, Southampton Town has has a blank check to basically not provide records if it falls under this particular law. So, which is that a lot? What did you foil for from Southampton Town? Because we'll ask for it too. Uh, disciplinary records for somebody who is off the force, uh, who's disciplined prior to uh, the repeal of 50A. And right now, my understanding uh. of of, of uh, the case law is that anything prior to that is unsettled. We have to wait for the legislature or a higher court to sort of decide. I may have that file already, unless it's more than uh, three years old. So we should chat offline. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and there you have it. Uh, all the news. That, all the news that we can actually tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Do you have fun. to go, Charles? Because I yeah. I got three minutes. I got three minutes. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> you radio people. Well, Charles. I um, speaking of fifty A repeal, Charles. Um, so. How useful and effective do you think the New York State Legislature repealing 50A has been? It's It's been really split, I think. I think you saw a lot of jurisdictions uh, open up their records. It's like, hey, you know what? We're, we have nothing to hide and we're totally transparent. And I think Long Island is very interesting because if you watch how Newsday has been reporting it, the, the reporter in charge of Nassau County is just hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, while the reporter in charge of Suffolk County Police is actually doing, turning out good stories and is able to like publish like uh, and publicize some misdeeds by Suffolk cops, only because he's getting access to the, to the records and his colleague in Nassau is not getting access mm. to the records. So do you want to explain what 50A is really quickly? Uh, 50A is the uh, is the law that uh, removes the shield for police disciplinary records from FOIL. Within FOIL, uh, the, it allows exemptions of un, under other state law, and 50A is just this arcane way that we describe that other law that shields police misconduct in this, uh, records. And we are arcane, yeah. so it's not totally out of our wheelhouse. <laughs> we appreciate your time, Charles, and keep fighting the good fight. I, I mean, I think... Uh... I think it's great what you're doing, and and I, the only way for these laws to work is for some of us to really push to to hold the the officials' feet to the fire and and say this these rules you know these laws exist for a reason, and the poor the, you know just because it's difficult to enforce them doesn't mean we walk away frustrated. But I think it takes a real commitment. I really respect what you guys are doing. So anything we can do to I really appreciate you guys being here. And if any of your audience members uh, have questions about FOIL or they're having a struggle, they're welcome to reach out to, to me uh, and uh, Charles at WSHU.org. And um, I, I'm very interested in helping people get access to the information they want. That's great, Charles. Thanks thanks for joining us. We really appreciate Terrific. it. Terrific. No, no, no. I appreciate it so much, guys. 
Hi, I'm Joe Shaw, executive editor of the Express News Group. You might recognize my voice because, frankly, it's everywhere on the radio, television, podcasts, and at live events that we regularly hold. I wouldn't blame you for being a little sick of hearing my voice, but there's a reason for all that. In addition to keeping you informed by publishing the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, and the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 27east.com, we have another goal. We believe local issues are so important that they deserve to be discussed and debated, and we want to lead those conversations in every place that we can. In fact, it's a key part of our mission. It makes this a better community. You can help us. For just $5 a month for both print and digital, you can stay informed as you join the discussion, and you get the satisfaction of knowing that you are supporting the press and the Express and 27 East and all that we do. Go to 27east.com backslash subscribe and talk to you again soon. So Brendan, um, we thought maybe if, if you want to talk a little bit about some of the roadblocks and the difficulties you've come up against in foiling for information out here on the East End and um, give us a little bit of insight into how the process works and where it's problematic for you. Well, some of the most basic complaints that I have about foil are kind of the the pettiness and the backwards way that people trying to file a foil request are are being required to adhere to like paper and and faxes and signatures and scanning and under the foil law if an organization or municipality can accept email then if you file a request via email they have to take the request that you filed via email i was actually told by uh, an attorney with Charles's organization recently that if you go to a public meeting and you ask for information, that's technically a FOIL request that they are required to fulfill. So, well, when I say fulfill, they could still reject it, but they have to acknowledge it and they have to say, we are rejecting it for these reasons. They can't just blow you off. So sometimes I'll go and ask for information and I'm told, well, you have to fill out this form. And then I'm expected to print out a form so, you know, fill it out by hand with the same information I already emailed to them, sign it, scan it, send it back. It used to be that you would have to drop it off in person or put it in the mail. Now, fortunately, if you send somebody a PDF back, they'll take it. But these are all unnecessary steps. And I will say that mm-hmm. since COVID started, I have seen some more leniency where things aren't being kicked back as much and being told, oh, no, you have to put it on this this PDF that I'm going to send you, they're not allowed to require you to use their specific form that they crafted. As long as you give them the information that they need, they have to give it to you. There's other things like you're allowed to request digital copies of documents. You're allowed to request a searchable spreadsheet, as in Charles's case, rather than a printout or an unsearchable PDF. You're allowed to say, no, I want the Excel file. And if you have the ability to export an Excel file from your software, you have to give me the Excel file. You can't just print out the information and say, here's 2,000 pages, now figure it out. So mm-hmm. if you email a request and you say, I would like a digital copy of this record, and they say, well, we don't email this sensitive information. We only do it in hard copy. You're going to have to pay us for the copy, and then we're going to send it to you via snail mail. And I've heard that before. We don't email this information. 
that's not an option. If it's public information, they can't say that it's so sensitive that they cannot electronically transmit it. We It can't be that sensitive because it's already the public information. So mm -hmm. there's just... But 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 again, it's so difficult to enforce that that if they're doing that, you can go back at them and say, no, you can't do that. You've got to yeah. give it to me this way. And and you're still in for a fight in a lot of cases if, if they're going to stick to their guns. Just trying to educate municipalities on FOIL law can be very difficult. Yes. And sometimes it's easier to just fill out the stupid PDF that I've had to print out at home on my home printer that doesn't work and uh, send it back, even though it's just going to say the same exact thing that it said in the email. Yeah. Well, you know, the flip side of it is it can be a really powerful tool. I remember um, a couple of years ago when um, we decided to use FOIL to try and find we, we felt like there was a conversation that may have been taking place outside of the public eye via emails. And so we actually foiled for all of the emails sent between, you know, a lot of people may not realize, but emails sent between town officials are public record. They are ma they're required to maintain those and, and we have access to them. And, and we did actually obtain um, what was purported to be a complete list of emails that were sent in that. So it's, it can be a really powerful tool for reporting um, when you use it. But yeah, it, it's not set up. It's it's set up so that the bureaucracy can frustrate. That's the, the problem. I could ask a quick question about that. If it's just like, say, the mayor emailing with a single board member, is that something that you're allowed to have or does it have to be a communication in which all of the board members are included? So here's the thing. Um, and the FOIL law is not as generous to the people requesting information as, as maybe Joe just said. And as I had thought for a long time, I had thought that if government officials are sending government emails between each other, we could have them. Uh, there is an exemption for interagency communication. Mm -hmm. So if like the village mayor writes to the town supervisor, we can't immediately get that because it's an interagency communication. There's also an exemption for intra-agency communications. So if the mayor sends an email to the village administrator or to the clerk or to another trustee, we can't have that just because it exists. Mm-hmm because it is an intra-agency communication and it's it's not something that has to be released under the FOIL law. There are certain communications that they do have to release under the FOIL law. And I say FOIL law, which is redundant because it's freedom of information law. So, so under the freedom of information law law, um, <laughs> it's like ATM machine or pin number. So... <laughs> Or CPF fund for all you <laughs> CPF nerds. So you can get it if it is part of a final determination or if it's like part of a policy. So if the mayor emails the clerk and says, um, you know, can we move the meeting up till 630? That's not something that they would have to give us under FOIL. But if the yeah. mayor emails the clerk and says, uh, I'm making it village policy now that um, 
everybody has to be stopped and frisked at the front door mm. before they enter the meeting. And this is obviously a joke and hypothetical and outrageous, but you can have that email because instituting that policy is a final agency determination, that kind of thing. But if you just say, oh, I want to know every email that the supervisor sent to the mayor this past year, unfortunately, we can't have that. Now, a communication between the supervisor and a constituent, we can have that. Uh, the only other exceptions I could think of uh, would be like a whistleblower exemption. So if an employee blows the whistle on misdeeds, um, I can't just go and foil for that employee's message because it is, it's a whistleblower protection. Uh, the other kind of things that will often be protected, even though I disagree, are messages that include unfounded ac accusations. Uh, I think that the interpretation of of how municipalities use that to deny FOIL requests is way too broad. Um, so if somebody gets accused of something by just a random constituent, a municipality, one municipality might say, oh yeah, you could have that email. And another municipality will say, uh, you can't have that message because it's an unfounded um, accusation of misconduct against an employee. And the way that it becomes founded is there has to be an investigation. And then that investigation has to result in that body saying, uh, we corroborate this charge of misconduct. Of course, if that employee then quits before they are found to have engaged in misconduct, now you can't have that accusation because it's unfounded. I would say it's founded because the person quit. Certainly seems like it's founded, uh, but it is considered unfounded because there hasn't been an investigation. It's all very complicated. When we talked about the 50A stuff, you know, the, the state legislature ruled um, that they were overturning the 50A protection. And what we found was in reality, it really didn't change much initially because everybody was so afraid of a court ruling that might reinterpret what that meant and uh so you know these things are complicated there's no question but that's why i mean i just think i think it's great uh charles and his organization are out there fighting this fight because and, and we've been we've been lucky too because um since our fight with the school board a few years ago uh some folks in the law community at cornell university have stepped up and offered to provide some pro bono, pro bono services when we decide uh, it's time to challenge uh, a FOIL request or something like that. If it, if it comes to go to court again, uh, there's at least an option there where we might not be limited by the, the financial resources of having to hire an attorney to do it. Um, I think that's a, that's a huge step. I mean, I, I really do think it's unfair that in order in order to enforce the law, you have to come up with the money to make it happen. And that is just, that's discouraging on its face. And that's why it's a, it's a big deal that the courts in New York started awarding uh, attorney fees. They were encouraged by this court ruling to begin awarding attorney fees when, when, the, when municipalities were discovered to have violated the law knowingly. So it's, it's a big deal. I mean, the, the money is what it's about. Everything's about money. And, and enforcing these laws is also about money. So that's why it's important. It's, it's important that they not only won this fight with Southampton Village, but that they got their attorney paid. And 
it makes it that much easier next time around when we have to go to court that that precedent has been set. You have a legal precedent. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.